Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. I'm your host, Greg B. Joining me, as always, is Jacob. Hello. And today, we're going to be reviewing Azul, a really popular, really gorgeous, brand new board game. But first, let's talk about what we've been playing. Yeah, so this weekend I had a chance to play some X-Wing. Ooh. I've been wanting to bring it to table for a while already. Right. Uh, I've been trying to get one of our friends who's really into X-Wing over here and get to play it. But schedules being schedules, it takes a bit of coordination. Yeah, that'll happen. But we finally got there. We actually had him over and then uh, his girlfriend was there. And then it ended up being me, my roommate, and my friend playing X-Wing. Okay, so was it a free-for-all, or was it like 2v1? It was free-for-all. We had all three factions going. We had uh, the Empire, the Rebellion, and the Scum. Okay. And my roommate had never played before. And so we were like, okay, we could do like, you know, 2v1, but we didn't really want to do that. Or I didn't really want to do that. (laughs) And so we decided, okay, we'll we'll give him a handicap by giving him more points. All right, I mean, yeah, that makes sense, as far as I'm aware of these things. Yeah, so pretty much... Uh, my friend did a 150-point build. I think he ended up with like a 149 or something. I did also 150, except mine ended up, we talked, and I was like, uh, we tried for 155, and like, let, let me do that. So okay. that was fun. And then he had a 200-point build. So, you know, he had a full 50 points on us. And and is that like, so I, I played X-Wing like half of a time. Yes. Is that like an entire ship or is that just some upgrades? Like what is that roughly equivalent to? It for is us lay people? the equivalent. So it all depends on the people and the upgrades that you have on the ships and that kind of stuff. It's definitely worth more than just upgrades. So he had six ships, whereas the two of us had four. Okay. So that's a pretty significant difference. But the thing is that that he also didn't upgrade his ships. Like we had four ships of like put everything at all possible on these on these ships. Right. And get like the best ever pilots and the best this, 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 and this. Whereas he had at least one ship that was just like at the minimum just stock. Yeah. Uh, like stock with very few other things. So in general the the game went really really interestingly. Okay, because, Inter- not well, interestingly. Well, I think that everyone really enjoyed it, but I mean, I definitely have a bit of salt. Like, <laughs> there, was a, there was a lot of sodium intake on that on that game. Let's just say that I had one kill okay. in the entire game. Okay. Compared to, I think, we ended the game when it was 2-1-1 on a stalemate over them. Okay. So four and three other ships were killed of theirs. Right. And all four of mine. That's that's rough. Yeah. So I got a little bit smashed. <laughs> yeah. And it was mostly, I think, because I, I invested a lot into one ship that didn't really pan out for me. Mm. I put a lot of points in it, and then a vastly superior ship came over and was just like, pew, 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 pew. Okay, you did. <laughs> and then yeah. it's just like, shit. Yeah, and that, that's all your eggs in one proverbial basket. and then Yeah. I mean, like, I still had other ships that were, like, flying around and doing a lot of damage in general. But it was always just like damage, but then I was like chased away from like the mm. kill and then someone else got the kill and that gotcha. kind of stuff. It was very eventful in general. Like we started, so we had a three player game, so we had to figure out how to start three players on one area. So normally you start on two different opposite edges. So what do you do with three people? Because if you start on like one edge, like like the person on the non-opposite straight edge might all, all right, have get, like a little bit of a detriment kind of thing. And, yeah. yeah. You don't want to be in that position. So we did like two corners and one straight edge. Okay. Yeah, that, that's about as, as good as you can get yeah. on a square board. 
Pretty much. And and it just ended up that like my roommate and I, like we started facing each other. And so we went after each other mm. at first while the other player was just like in the back, just like weeding it out. Like yeah. being like, I don't really want to uh, get involved just yet. Like at one point he, he had Darth Vader in there and like Darth Vader went like whoop, up forward. And then it was just like, eh, never mind. No, and, yeah. like did like two barrel rolls back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It just like did, and ba-doom, ba-doom. all right, I'm back to where I started, pretty much. <laughs> wow. All right. So yeah, the the third one really slow played it there. Sort of, and then it's just like it, I mean, it all got like pretty intense in the middle, like after like the initial like blasts happened mm. and all that kind of stuff. And my big ship got destroyed very very quickly, and after that, like I was just having two of my X wings just flying all over the place, and my one B wing doing some pretty good damage. So that that was fun. Yeah, and in general, uh, so my roommate ended up winning mm-hmm. and loved the game, even though he actually suicided one of his ships. Nice. Like like on purpose? No, or... accidentally and his best ship. Okay, maybe less nice. I was thinking like a ramming speed situation. No, so, so the rules of the game are if any part of the base of your ship leaves the play area, mm-hmm. that ship is considered to have fled. Oh, no. So he, he turned the ship towards like the side, and it was like it was already pretty close to the side, Neither of us were expecting him to do this. And then we're just like, can he pull it out before like it, it flies over the edge? Right. And he wasn't able to, just like the t- tiny bit of the back corner clipped it. Oh. And and so technically this really, really good ship that probably would have given him the game right. straight out like was off the table. Oh, that really sucks. Yeah. So, But he still ended up winning, so, you know, there's that. Well, that sounds like a blast. Yeah, it was. It was a literal blast. Yep, there you go. You made the joke. Thank you for uh, for saving me from setting up my own joke. But so you had a chance to play that, and then we also, on the stream last week, two weeks ago, mm-hmm. I guess now, played Pandemic Legacy. Yes. Which was pretty exciting. We, I mean, spoiler territory ahead, we're playing Pandemic Legacy Season 2, and we're, we're starting to really open up the map. I mean, yeah. we finally explored, uh, reconned rather, East Asia. And Oceania. So, you know, we've revealed the red cities on the map. A lot of them. Um, a lot right. of them. We've got some new ways to avoid scarring, mm-hmm. which is cool because we've managed to avoid getting exposed. Yeah, not period. a single one not of a us has single gotten exposure. Yeah. But, you know, there's just more ways to get exposed now that we have, you know, more and more and more hollow men showing up. There were definitely some, some revelations yeah. about who exactly the hollow men were, which I called... Mm-hmm. Although, to be fair, I did call them, like, that same session. So it wasn't, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't super impressive. But, yeah, th- things are heating up, which, you know, we finished our first game in September, even though we lost. Yeah. And, I mean, that based on my memories of Season 1, that's about the time when things would start to heat up. Things would get real. Yeah. So it's it's good. We're definitely still thoroughly enjoying it. Season 2, I think, is... I think I like it better than season one. I think I'm going to say the same because I actually like the mechanics of season two yeah. more. I mean, they definitely took some getting used to. Yeah. Season one was like, you know, putting on your favorite hoodie. Yeah. Like you, you've you played Pandemic before. You've had a lot of fun with Pandemic. And this is just that. But like with a new twist. Mm-hmm. Season two is completely different. Yeah. And I think it, there was a startup period where we were kind of like figuring it out. But now I, I definitely think it's better. Oh, for sure. And, and I mean, I, I like how the game uses very, very similar mechanics to regular Pandemic and Pandemic Legacy Season 1, but makes it 
feel so different. Yeah. Because it almost like flips it on its head, but still uses the same mechanics to run it. Yeah. It's almost like running a an evil D and D campaign where you're uh, you're used to playing all the heroes and that kind of stuff and having one villain, whereas now you have like, you know, you're all villains and like a hero guild is trying to kill you kind of thing. Yeah. I mean certainly in as much as there's an inversion, I agree yeah, with you. An inversion. Yeah, we're, we're definitely not, we're, not we're, playing the bad yeah. guys. No one's the bioterrorist here. No, no one's the hollow man. Yeah, as far as we know yet. As far as yeah. Bom, bom. <laughs> but yeah, so you know, that's that's really great. That's continuing to evolve. We're gonna be back playing september game two uh probably this week so we're continuing to play that rushing headlong towards an ending you know we'll see what happens in december hopefully we manage to get top scoring bracket yes we've we've avoided what's it called the this this game's version of team bravo the uh, give us the tools and we will finish the job yeah which is just like a super awesome thing yeah like it's a very like dystopian cyberpunky thing which is appropriate but we've avoided that so i'm feeling pretty good about you know the direction that our score is headed and uh yeah we'll keep reporting back yeah definitely and be sure to tune into our streams those we do on fridays so be sure to tune in when we do those yeah so we were planning on doing one of our signature punny intros to this but you know this game was a bit too classy for our puns or too glassy no no it was ceramics not glass Oh, damn it. That's why we didn't do this. Oh, all right. Scrap it. Move on. <laughs> but yeah, Azul is really a very beautiful game that is elegantly simple. And pretty much the game revolves around tiles that you are trying to create a mosaic on your board. And you get the tiles from different factories. And the factories do make random tiles every time. Yeah. Uh, so you every at the beginning of every round, you're pulling four tiles out of the bag at a time, putting four tiles onto each factory. And then once play begins, starting with the first player, you can take all of the tiles of a particular color. So there's five different colors, broadly speaking. Some of them have patterns, but yeah. colors. And so you take all of the tiles of a particular color and put them into one of your pattern lines, which mm-hmm. is a stack of vertical lines, which have between one and five spaces. So one at the top, then two, then three, and so on. You put them into one of your pattern lines, and you move all of the tiles that you didn't take to the center. Mm -hmm. Play continues like this in the same fashion until there are no more tiles left. The reason that you can get down to zero tiles is because if someone prefers to, they can take all of the tiles of a particular color from the center of the board Mm -hmm. rather than from any factory in play. So in this way, you can kind of control... Uh, what color you're taking, how many of a particular color you're taking. You can try to wait until someone dumps an extra red into the center, or you know maybe someone else would snipe it before you got there. So it's it's a lot of strategic thinking that way. But once all of the tiles are gone in a particular round, your completed pattern lines are scored. So if there's a pattern line of three, and you have three tiles in it, you move the rightmost tile in that pattern line into your wall, Mm-hmm. onto the space that matches the color and you score points based on its position relative to other tiles yeah so it's pretty much showing like, the more complete the mosaic the more points you get exactly so for each contiguous horizontal tile including the one that you just placed you get one point and for each contiguous vertical tile you get one point so these actually can work together so if you place something at the center of a three by three cross you score six total points 
three for the horizontal and three for the vertical. So if you're clever and if you're sort of strategic about where you end up completing which pattern lines and where they go, you can really like multiply and, and amplify your points. Yeah, exactly. And um, it's also interesting because you can't just place the tiles wherever you want. And um, the your player board has a pattern on it. Mm -hmm. And pretty much the idea behind the pattern is that uh, pretty much Sudoku rules where you can't have the same color in the, in the same row or column. Exactly. So they, of course, made it look like a nice pattern. So you have like things going diagonally and all that kind of stuff. And it looks cool. But there's also the other side of the board, which you can pretty much create your own as long as you stay without, within those rules. Mm -hmm. The placement aspect of the game is really interesting because you really have to think about um, what, which tiles you want and where and almost when. Because if you are able to get, let's say, three yellow tiles that go all the way out in the middle of nowhere, they might not be as useful to you as setting yourself up for the next round to get a few red tiles, which are going to be next to like in a, in a row or column with like four other things. Right. You know, one of the biggest places that this comes into play is that completed pattern lines are filled in on the wall, but uncompleted pattern lines aren't. They don't reset. They don't disappear. They don't get scored. They just stay there. If you pick up a red tile, a single red tile, and you decide, I'm going to fill in my five pattern line, and then the next round comes up and you deal out the tiles and there's no reds, you have a completely dead line until you can clear those reds. Yeah. So you really have to not just know what you want when you want it, but also kind of read the board mm -hmm. um, because there is a finite number of tiles. It's 20 of each of the five colors, and you'll cycle through them throughout the course of the game. So knowing what tiles have hit the field already and knowing what tiles are likely to come out can really govern you know, what strategies you make. If in your first round, 13 out of the 20 red tiles are available to be taken and used that's really going to impact your subsequent decision making because you know if you go for the ones and the twos early and then maybe try to gamble on the fives later you're going to be sol until the tiles are taken from the box top and put back into the bag and re-enter circulation so it's a lot of strategic thinking and long-term strategic thinking which you wouldn't expect from a game that is just take a tile put the tile on the wall take a tile put the two tiles on the you know what i mean yeah and one of the other interesting things is that when you take tiles, you almost have to be exact by the ones that you take. Because if you take more than what you can fit in that row, you can't start a new row or anything like that. The remainder of those tiles go into your floor. Exactly. That means that they got lost pretty much on the cutting room floor, as they say. And you get negative points for those because you're mm -hmm. pretty much wasting tiles. And this is a very interesting mechanic because like sometimes... You just will not be able to efficiently get the tiles that you need at the right time. So you are going to have to either take more and let them go into the floor and get some negative points. And you have to balance that with how many points you're actually getting. So in that way, it has a really cool balancing mechanic. And the other thing is that there is a first player tile, mm -hmm. which goes right in the middle at, at the beginning of each round. And whoever is the first one to take from the middle, I mean, they get their first choice of everything that's in the middle, but they also get this first player tile, which automatically goes into the floor and you have negative one point starting off. Yep. So it's also definitely a trade-off because uh, first player, especially in a game with more than two, 
can be extremely important. Mm -hmm. But it is one of those things that you have to think about just what is the trade-off with points? Like, what are you getting and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, overall, I think the first player sort of mechanic and, and you have to accept negative points in order to take it, but also it sets you up for subsequent plays and priority. I think it's very well balanced. Mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, we've only played in a two-player game, but I think it works perfectly there. You know, it's it's perfectly valued. I think in a larger, you know, three or four-player game, I think it might even be more important to take yeah. it. You know, if you're stuck at the end of the rotation, if you're fourth every time, you're just going to be responding to what other people are doing. And, you know, given the way that the game works with, you know, wanting to make sure that you're thinking three, four turns in advance, Mm -hmm. that's just seems like it's going to be not feasible. Yeah. One of the other things that this sort of brings up with, with the thinking multiple turns in advance and the, you know, excess tiles hitting the floor is that it does raise the possibility to play offensively. Mm -hmm. So for the most part, player interaction is is limited. You can't directly affect another player's wall. You can't, you know, ride an elephant through their pattern. <laughs> I don't know. You can't do anything to directly impact yep. what another player has already. But what you can do is force them into a situation where they're going to have to take too many tiles and accept negative points. So, you know, if there's a situation where there's four teals and one yellow left in play and Jacob and I are playing and... I could take those four teals and put one on my floor and the other three in my three pattern line. Or I could take that one yellow. Maybe it's not quite as useful of a positioning for me, but then Jacob has to take those four teals and he doesn't have any open pattern lines that can accept any teals. So suddenly he's staring down tons of negative points. Yep. And that's kind of a way that you can think a little bit more strategically, not just in terms of what you're doing, but really reading the game state and thinking about, all right, what does he need? What colors does he already have in play? What colors can I force him to take that are going to be useless for him or whatnot? Because that's the other thing is that in addition to not being able to have the same color more than once in a row or more than once in a column, if a color already appears in a row, you cannot put tiles of that color into that pattern line. So as the game goes on, the later and later the game gets, your options get narrower and narrower, and you're almost forced to deal with negative points just because your options are so limited. Yeah, exactly. And it's also very interesting because at the end of the game, you're scoring in multiple other criteria as well. So you have all the points that you scored during the game, but then you also get points for having completed uh, columns Mm-hmm. and completed rows. Yep. So you're trying to complete as many of these as possible. Also, when the first row is completed, the game is over. Yep. Or that round is the last round of the game. And so when you're trying to get all these these different things, you have to know like where do you want to place, what you want to place. And there's also a bonus for having five of the same color yes. on yep. your board. That's true. So there's all these other bonuses that you can plan for and you can try to get. So it just makes the placement and makes like the choices of what tiles you want to focus on completely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And one of the other considerations with sort of game end, whether you know it's not exactly scoring, but one of the aspects of it is that players control when the game ends. You know, mm-hmm. you you don't have to fill in any pattern line. If you take something, even if you could put it in a pattern line, you can put it on the floor if you yeah. so choose. So you can sort of extend the game deliberately or you can shorten it. And a lot of that will be 
you know, how successfully am I executing my strategy as opposed to my opponents executing theirs? Yeah. Or maybe I think I'm in a good position right now, and I don't think based on what tiles have already seen play, what's currently available, that I'm going to have a good next turn. I'm just going to go out. Yeah. So it's definitely an interesting sort of phenomenon that you you have more or less total control over how long the game lasts. Obviously, you know, if you fill in your entire wall of 25 tiles, then the game's going to have to end. But Yeah, exactly. That, that would be very, very difficult to do. I'd be curious to see like, how to like space that out like yeah. in a game to try to do something like that. Because I think even trying for it, like if, if you were to play with someone else trying for it, it would be very difficult to just finish that. Yeah, it'd be it'd be a lot of work, and I don't know if it would actually lead to more points just because of the sheer sort of concessions that you'd have to make. Oh, you'd have to put so much on the floor. Like I don't, I don't know if the floor could take it. Yeah. There's, there, there's only so many spaces there, and you'd be filling them up by the end. Yeah, definitely. That all being said, no game is perfect. That's right. And... This game is, is no different. It is a very simple game, so it's a little bit difficult to nitpick all the like rules that we usually do, where mm-hmm. it's just like, you know, this is this could be better, this could be better. But there are definitely a few things. One of the things that I noticed was that when someone has a better grasp of the game than you, they can pretty much play circles around you. Yeah. it's It really is the kind of thing where if they know how to play if they know that you have to really be careful of this or that or you know really go for the columns instead of just going for the rows and things like that it can really hurt you in in the long run yeah so it it can be difficult to play with people who are a lot more experienced than you yeah it's definitely a game that's very sensitive to skill in that way one of the other things is you know we mentioned that it's possible to play offense but it is very very difficult to do so i'm sure that the game is designed this way deliberately but i do think that the penalties for going offensive just simply the hit that you personally are going to have to take in order to alter anyone's plan are prohibitively high yeah and also even if you do accept those costs your ability to actually meaningfully affect their strategy is relatively low you Mm. know you can set them back a few points here and there but there's really not a way to like disrupt anyone's strategy on a macro scale it's just sort of the the micro transactions at the end of the round where Mm -hmm. it can happen which again that may very well be by design but i do think that it's an avenue that would have been worth exploring a little bit more yeah i agree overall though i think this game is really great it's gorgeous i'm i'm rendered speechless by how gorgeous this game is the tiles are super high quality the patterns that are printed on them are absolutely lovely you know, I'm sure it's just it's a pale reflection of actual mosaic work in the Iberian Peninsula, but they did an amazing job capturing it for the game. The mechanics, as we mentioned, are very simple. They're very straightforward, but they offer a lot of strategic depth. And I think it's just a well-designed game overall. I think this is absolutely a buy-it for me, not to mention the fact that it's got sort of a lower price point than a lot of other games coming in at $40 instead of 60 yeah, I will echo that. I also think that this is a great game. I'm definitely giving it a buy it. I really like the tiles. The components are really high quality. It's very well thought out just how it, it plays. And it plays standard two to four people, which is which is totally fine for a game like this. And just like the theming of it, the the ideas behind it, 
I think that it's a really, really fun game, and it's definitely one that I like. I, I love that it, you can play it in half an hour, mm-hmm. that you just quickly jump in, jump out. It's a game that you can play before your main games in the game night. It's a game that you can play in between games. And I just like that it also has a lot of strategic depth to it, that you can really dig in and and do some fun stuff with that while still being a very quick light game. Yeah, totally agree. Before we close, as always, we're going to talk about a few games that we think are similar. If you like them, you'll like Azul and vice versa. The first one that comes to mind is Orléans, actually. I think it's very similar in terms of focusing your strategy on what you're doing, focusing on your own strategy. You really just want to try to find the most efficient, optimal path and yeah, there are a handful of opportunities to disrupt. You know, you can force someone to take a bad play or in Orléans, you can, you know, sort of snipe something that someone else is going for. And in that way, both games really reward a broad view of the game state, but have an emphasis on a narrow view of your own strategy. Not to mention just the the pure physical similarity of pulling things out of a bag. So I think Orléans, quite similar to Azul in a lot of game feel. The game that I'm going to mention is... Castles of Mad King Ludwig, and it also has a lot of similarities. It has the whole placement aspect, which is very similar, and then you also have a very big aspect with reading what the other players are doing and mm-hmm. when they're doing it and things like that, because you, when you're a master builder, you have to like place the tiles in certain ways to maximize the money that you're getting paid, while also like you know seeing like what other people are willing to pay for certain tiles and things like that. So. Both of them have very interesting tile placement and like just awareness of the game mechanics. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's our review of Azul. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Dragons and Mice. We hope that you enjoyed it. Washington tickets are on sale now. Be sure to get them as soon as possible because the prices are going up at the end of May. So that's coming up real soon. We will be there. There are going to be some really cool designers. We're thinking of some really, really awesome events. I'll give you a sneak peek. There's probably going to be something to do with Legos and D&D. So, fun stuff. And there's just going to be a lot of really cool things going on. We hope that we will be able to see you there. We'll be running some panels. There'll be a lot of other things. All in all, a great con to go to. Washington Con is September 8th and 9th this year at the Georgetown University Hotel and Convention Center. Also, be sure to join us on stream. We stream on Wednesdays and most Fridays, so be sure to join us then on both Twitch and YouTube. So we hope to see you there. And speaking of YouTube, be sure to check out our YouTube channel for our latest videos, including the archives of the streams, as well as our new series, Board Game Bistro, where we teach you how to play different board games. Next week, we are introducing our new series, Meeple vs. Meeple, on the podcast, where two of us are going to be talking about games that are similar and trying to convince an impartial judge of which one is better than the other. So... We'll be giving you some great pros. The other people will give you, be giving some great cons about each of these board games. I think it'll be a lot of fun, and we hope that you join us for that.